Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Real pleasure to be with you again. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. What a busy start to September uh, across the industry. Real uncertainty about, of course, economically at the moment. Uh, Real signals from the market, maybe a little weaker than earlier in the year, but still actually quite positive in recent REC data. Latest data out on the 8th of September, our report on jobs. That's a really important uh, signal f- uh, of how things are going. So look out for that and look out for the REC's analysis of it. Of course, that runs alongside the fact that we're doing a lot in Parliament and in Whitehall at the moment, making links with new Prime Minister and uh, and new ministers as they're appointed. We've got a big parliamentary reception for the REC in a, in a, in a week or so's time. Those things are about getting recruiters' voice into the ears of that new government as quickly as possible because there's so much on the table at the moment in terms of everything from uh, legal changes around holiday pay through to energy costs through to the role of recruitment and staffing in uh, really navigating the British labour market through what is a tough time and of course making sure that we hear uh, we get the voice of recruiters heard by clients as well and so much of our media work is about that. But there's always time for a little bit of celebration and we have had a fantastic year in the industry. We're delighted to uh, launch just the day before we're uh, we're, uh, launching this podcast, actually, the shortlist for this year's REC Awards. That's going to be a fantastic night at the end of November. Do come along and join us. It's a hugely uh, enjoyable night of celebration. We've got some great entertainment planned and, of course, a great chance to tell some stories about the difference recruitment makes. Uh, Because for me, as with many of you, I make a a purpose out of talking about how we as an industry need to hold our uh, heads high about the difference we make for people. And so much of that we'll be able to celebrate on awards night. So do check that out on the REC uh, website and do come along and join us for what will be a fantastic night in London at the end of November. Um, The other thing you can check out on the REC website while there is our support for members around equality, diversity and inclusion. The REC's EDI hub is available there. You can get uh, get onto rec.uk.com and that's also the theme for today's uh, episode of the podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by the REC's EDI ambassador uh, and of course, and of course, leader Harper Fox Partners, uh, Scarlett Allen Horton for today's podcast. Scarlett, welcome to the pod. Hi Neil, absolutely great to be here. Thank you so much for asking me on. Why don't we start with? Uh, of course, many people uh, listening to this will know who you are, but uh, why why don't you give a little bit about uh, yourself, Harper Fox, and of course your interest in this field of equality, diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, my name is Scarlett Allen Horton. I am the founder of Harper Fox Search Partners, um, and we specialise in placing senior leaders within energy and engineering sectors predominantly across the world. But most, I guess, kind of important to us and a key vision for us is that all of the boardrooms across the country and across the world are reflective of the wider societies that we live within. Um, So we are very well known for placing senior females and ethnic minority candidates and very, very passionate about really propelling the next generation of talent forwards. Well, let's pick up on that first point. So often over the last, I mean, I've been working in 
uh, in the jobs market uh, for for scarily almost 25 years now. We've talked about the importance of EDNI. And of course, it's very it's very important and valuable to make a moral case for that in terms of being the right thing to do. But for us as as recruiters, um, where does the, the importance of inclusive recruitment practices sit in terms of, yes, making that kind of moral case, but also why it's so important for us more broadly? Yeah, I think that's a, a brilliant question, actually. Um, so I think a number of things. It's always nice in this kind of scenario, I would say, to look at the stats. And we know that businesses with more diverse teams, and that's inclusive of gender and ethnic minorities, are typically 36% more profitable. So I say that's a really nice starting point if we want to actually just look at bottom line. Um, we know that employee engagement is much higher within workplaces where there is a higher proportion of diverse talent. Um, and we also know that the problem solving capability within those workplaces is also much higher. Um, so I'd say that's a really good sort of uh, number of first reasons to really look at, aside from kind of the moral compass side of things, um, as to why it is so important that we, we look at our workplaces, we look at our clients, and we understand how we can really support um, diverse talent into the business and thriving within business as well. I think that's a really important point because some of this is about uh, the upside in performance and engagement you see over time. And yeah. for us as uh, as recruiters and for clients, it's about encouraging clients to think about how they steward a workforce where the, the tide is rising in terms of both of those things. And, and clearly the evidence you set there does say that kind of uh, month to month and year to year, gradually you build up a, a, a higher performing workforce by embracing inclusion. It can feel quite, it, it, it can feel quite long term if you're in a recruitment business where you're thinking about filling one job for one client at one at one time. But actually, that's where you know, that kind of added value conversation with your clients is really important about help, helping them understand the importance, but also helping them plan for what they might achieve. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's about value add. I think it's about great education, um, not just actually directly to client, because that's obviously really, really key, but also really looking at what are our work environments like? What is the culture of our own work environments? Because I think it's one thing, and I've seen this a lot when I've had clients say, oh my gosh, we've got this big driver now and it's come from the board and we need to have, I don't know, 30 or 40% you know, female leaders in the business. Um, and that's wonderful. And that's just, you know, that's just one kind of demographic that I've touched upon there. But also, what are we doing to make sure that that talent is going to be supported in the business? And what are we going to do to ensure that the culture is actually really welcoming and appropriate? Because I've heard some, you know, some <laughs> we work across um, very industrial sectors as well. And, you know, I've, I've heard many a story as well during my time within recruitment um, and just making sure that actually the candidates, and I think we have a duty as well as recruiters, that the candidates we are placing within businesses are going to be supported, they are going to be treated properly, and they are going to have opportunity as well to develop. Um, based on performance too. I think that's such an important point about how we we do that long-term stewardship and I, if, I if I think back to my time on the Parker Review which looked at ethnic diversity in Britain's FTSE 250 uh, boards, yeah. I think one of the challenges for us is understanding that um, 
inclusion is about bringing the talents of everyone in our society into the workplace and that the makeup of our society is is gradually changing and that the talent exists in places that we haven't previously looked for it you know the two big decisions we made on the park review was one uh it was there uh was there a pool in the United Kingdom of non-white people who were appointable to boards now? And we felt that there was. They just weren't necessarily working in all of the same places that we traditionally recruited uh, boards from. So we're asking people to be a bit more flexible and understanding the skills of people. But also thinking about the changing nature of, of, uh, of the UK labour force, there are many more uh young non-white people coming through the labor force now and heading for the uh, and heading for those kind of professional jobs and that as that uh, as they come through making sure that the pathways are open for them and, and that we're meeting people where they are and where they look for jobs seems to me to be super absolutely. important as well yeah absolutely i think you touched on a really great point there and i think there's a couple of things first of all we need to you know my recommendation would be as as recruiters when we're speaking to our clients that we're asking the client well why is the spec that way is this that it's been the same spec for the last 30 years or this is exactly the same spec as the person that's been in this role for the last 10 years for example or the spec is the same as when they were in that role you know and I think until in an appropriate way we challenge well okay do we need all of those skill sets on a specification if not can we open up the sector a little bit if not that's gonna enable us to open up the demographic um, or even the location and really kind of challenge in the right way what does the business actually need because sometimes those questions haven't been asked you know HR understandably everybody's under pressure a, a kind of you know, let's push forward, let's get the spec, let's get it out to agency, right, quick, we need interviews, you know, everybody's under pressure. But actually, uh, what we're looking for now at this point is, is this the talent that the business actually needs and the experience that the business leads? So I think there's a, I think there's a big part um, in, in that side of things as well, in all honesty, and a responsibility for us again as recruiters. I think that's a, a, a really uh, key point. And this is where I think the commercial stuff interacts with this because if we understand as recruiters where we create value you know job matching is a bit of where we create value but actually advice and helping clients shape their ask is another um and and so that piece about gentle pullback uh sorry gentle pushback on a on a on clients about what what where they're looking and what they're looking at and and maybe some of the options that you see because you know you might want to higher at a certain level which is particularly tight right now in the in uh, in terms of labor shortages but we've got you know a pool of candidates over here who could train on and maybe that yeah. pool's a bit more diverse and yeah. and th- that's where i think the real value add is and the commercial linkage to doing edi well i was going to ask you about this question about pushing uh, you know how we push back on clients in the right way later but it, i mean what you've just said sings out to me to some work we've done at the REC with public sector suppliers talking to the cabinet office where you know challenging job specs where if something says security clear clearance required many job specs go well the easiest thing to do is for that person to already be security uh, cleared of course the population that is already security cleared is a lot more white a lot more male a lot older than potentially the, the 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 pool of candidates so there's something there about 
even in just the basics, going understanding what the client really needs, what their real pain point is, uh, rather than just echoing up. And of course, that's good business, but it's also good for, for EDI. Are there other things that we should be doing as an industry in terms of how we talk to clients and educate clients on this? Yeah, I, I actually think a really good place to start is is stats, you know, and that's where I often go back to the data, um, because I think if we go to our clients with data, supporting data, it puts us in a really, really positive position straight away. And that teams with understanding, well, what are their objectives as a business? What are their growth plans as a business? And then how could we entwine some of that really positive data in there? I think that's a very good and softer approach, I guess, um, to influence clients in the right way. However, I will say, I do think there's a time and there's a place actually to challenge our clients in an appropriate way um, and push back and you know and my experience of that on the whole has actually been really positive I think that we can all ultimately we're all businesses we want to make sure that you know we're billing and that our business is profitable and that we're in a job and so those kind of conversations can sometimes be a little bit nerve-wracking but I think when you do have experience behind you you can see the benefits um, as well then that consultative approach to client actually I think is really important and it is like I say, our responsibility to educate our clients in the right way. And I think sometimes in the right way, that is challenging them a little bit as well and calling them out a little bit um, in a way whereby they might have a, a consideration for maybe a different route. See, I'm at risk of uh, quoting Tim Cook at our conference in almost every okay. episode of the podcast at the moment. But Tim, <laughs> Tim's thing about you don't shortchange your mates, um, you know, you also take advice from your mates. Yeah. And and that's the it's a, it's building that client relationship where uh, you can be seen to offer a bit of added value in terms of the advice that makes a client sit back and go, mm, right, OK, I understand why Scarlett said that. And, you know, I might not like to listen to it, but actually there is a push to change here. And the commercial link is that you as a recruiter then filed under they get it they get my pain point and they understand the market and your value is is that much higher that piece around uh, making sure that we're doing things that aren't easy to commoditize away yes. especially going into a um uh into a more uncertain market is a is one of the reasons why i think edi needs to stay at the top of our list even if the the market looks a bit less positive in the next six months Absolutely. If anything, that should be more of a reason that we really encourage diverse talent into businesses or into the sectors that we work within, because it's quite clear there's a massive skills deficit in our market. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, and I would also say that my experience anyway, and not just for myself personally, but also from what I've seen, is that people really tend to respect that. And they lean on you then actually for information. And the great thing with the role that we do, Neil, as recruiters, is that we can influence every single sector across the UK, across the world. There is no other um, kind of professional that really is able to do that. And I think um, it's a great opportunity for us actually to do that in a really, really positive way. Couldn't agree more. In fact, it's one of my big ins with government ministers is you, you just tell them that we put a million people into new uh, uh, new permanent jobs every year and a million temps into workplaces every day. And suddenly they're interested. Um, and they, that that scale is is one of the reasons why we should be proud of the industry. And but we also need to we need to use our power for good. 
Um, yeah, but uh, both, both, yeah, kind of moral good of moving forward on EDI, but actually also we know it's enlightened self-interest because there are better client relationships down that road. There's better, more advisorial things we can do. And as you cited right at the top of the podcast, um, there's a, there's a better return for clients in, term, in terms of what they're achieving with their businesses. Um, look, before we close, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, cool. which is it's all very well to be this agent of change in the labour market, as we know we all are as recruiters. Um, but there's a flip side to it, which is you've got to get your own house in order before you start advising people on their, on what they should do in theirs. Yes. And, um, you know, a really big part of kind of winning business now is dem- for many larger clients is demonstrating the credentials of the business on EDI. and i um, And you, you can't just talk the talk anymore. No. Uh, so there's a there's a bit about demonstrating what you've done as a business with your clients, but there's also a bit I think about demonstrating and um, you know what you do within your own business. I know it's something that the team that were, are working here with me at the REC, you know, we think a lot about the REC's approach to EDNI um, because that that is an essential pillar of then being able to advise and support members. Yeah. So you, what sorts of things should you know, the average recruitment business be thinking about in terms of, well, what could we do for ourselves with our own staffing, with our own development, with our own management? Yeah, brilliant. Um, I would say, first of all, let's look at data. So let's look at the demographics within your own business. That's really important because until we know where we're at within our own businesses, we don't know what change may need to be. Um, I would certainly suggest running some lunch and learn sessions um, or some confidential kind of feedback um, sessions amongst the team as well. Again, what our perception of our business is and actually what our people that are working within our business perceive can be very, very different. Um, So then we actually know, okay, where are we at and what needs to change? absolutely um, encouraging of training. Um, So EDI training, non-bias and conscious bias training, um, those types of things with external partners, I think can be very, very powerful indeed. Um, A hub. So something, again, it can be confidential or just a really open Q&A hub whereby people can find information. I think especially within the EDI space, people get very nervous. I've seen it. I've experienced it even myself, actually. And it's sort of like, oh, what's the um, right title or the right thing to say when we're talking about a certain demographic? Or should I say this word? This word isn't appropriate anymore. I don't know what to say. I'm not sure whether to even engage in this conversation. And my big suggestion for that, and that's something that we've really embraced, is to really cultivate a culture about getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, and it's safe and it's okay in an appropriate way to ask questions um, and to have really open discussions, so the organisation can really move forwards. Those would probably be my my key kind of uh, starting points. There's some diamonds in there, Scarlett. <laughs> I want to I want to pick a couple out that really resonate for me. That bit about oh, it's too difficult, or we're walking on eggshells. That yeah. that kind of stays managers' hands who who want to do the right thing. I've seen that so much, and that yeah, yeah you're getting comfortable with being uncomfortable with uncomfortable conversations is part of it. Actually, also, when one of the best uh, things I've heard a an, an EDI lead in a major company say was we we started this by having all our senior managers talk uh, doing a video talking about the mistakes they've made nice um because because the truth is we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable 
get comfortable with discussing it, even if we some of those discussions surface uncomfortable things. And also we need, need to acknowledge that we might slip up once or twice along the way, individuals or corporately, and we try and avoid slipping up, of course, but the, the, the world doesn't end when that happens. And it's not a reason not to engage with it. And then the flip side, of course, is absolutely data. We published some work we did with AppSchool last year on the number of recruitment firms who are monitoring their data at the moment, and it is very low. Yeah, uh, so cool. so this understanding where you are now, um, feeling comfortable with raising the issues and then absolutely you know leading with your ears understanding what people are saying to you and and looking at your markets as well you know we ought to be and i think in many ways we are a sector that can be a poster child for um for edni because you know we take so many good sharp entry level people onto desks every year um and therefore, you know, that that flow of talent, we should be able to find in diverse ways and, and give them opportunities to progress. One of the things that sits in my mind uh, particularly is the need to challenge the way things have always been done. And I think that sits alongside your points, um, both in terms of structures, things like reward. You know, what do we, you know, how, how do we celebrate? Um you know, if you give a bottle of champagne to someone who's had a crack cracking week, well, great. But if you're in the middle of Birmingham and you employ and you employ a number of uh, of uh, Muslim members of staff, not yeah, don't give someone not a bottle of champagne. Good. But what yeah. do you do? What do you do for them if they if they're the star of the week? So there's yeah. the, the, there's all these little things that we just need to work through. Wider reward strategies, yeah. um, and I think I suppose the message that I picked up from you, and I think I'm in the same place, is just make a bit of time to think about it and think about well, what is our approach and what do we need to to challenge? Because it has, of course, it's good for the company. It uh, uh, unlocks all the the advantages that you cited at the top of the pod for an individual company but of course it also helps you show you walking the walk and not just talking the talk with clients absolutely and i think another key thing with that is let's take some time to think about it absolutely agreed but let's engage with the talent with our business as well and understand what would be engaging for them and what would be appropriate and if we're not sure um, about how to i don't know discuss a certain type of demographic or what's appropriate what's not let's ask the people in our business let's empower them um let's enable them to educate us actually um I've seen that work so, so well. And actually what I've seen on the back of that is that people in organisations feel like they belong more. They feel like they can be more of their authentic self. And that really adds to well-being and it adds to retention. And hey, in this market at the moment, we all need to retain our people. Who could want for more? Exactly. You know, real. We we remain in a situation of a real shortage on our own staff of uh, of uh, of experienced consultants, but out there across a number of sectors, including many of the ones you're working in at Harper Fox. Absolutely, absolutely, totally agree. Scarlett, I really enjoyed that chat. I think it's it's given uh, a, a few ideas in terms of how we should approach this. And I think really relayed the point which I agree with about this staying important across the economic cycle. It's not just about uh, when or when times are good. It's it's how we do what we do, not what we do when we're making some money. If people want to find out more about what we're doing at the REC, I mentioned earlier on, we've got our Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Hub on the REC website at rec.uk.com. Scarlett, if people want to find out a bit more about Harper Fox and your work, where can they go? 
We're on social media, Instagram, um, Twitter and LinkedIn, of course. And um, best place to contact us is um, harperfoxpartners.com. Thanks very much, Scarlett. Uh, the the uh, REC has not yet made it to the gram, although our marketing team are, 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 are planning a, a Carberry debut on TikTok at some time in the autumn. So look forward to that. I'm, I'm, working, I'm working on my moves. I'm looking forward to seeing it now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Scarlett. And thank you to all of you for uh, joining us on this episode of the REC podcast, Talking Recruitment. I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, if you're looking for a bit more inspiration on issues around EDNI, why not try episode 14 from uh, 2022 with Kate Headley, who's director of the Clear Company and the Government Disability and Access Ambassador for the recruitment industry, very leading the RIDI initiative, uh, which is all about addressing the UK's scandalously low disability employment rate or if you think about all that uncertainty that's out there and how uh, and how to tackle it, we had a great event on August the 31st with uh, Greg Savage in London. But there's a distilled version of some of Greg's thinking shared with some of my uh, takes from REC data in episode 15 for 2022, powering growth in 2023 and beyond with Greg Savage. So why not check out one of those if uh, you're listening in the car and you're not quite home yet? Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. I'll look forward to joining you again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.